Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi, featuring teachings and stories from the wisdom of the Islamic tradition. Omid invites you to a meditation on the transformative power of love and recalling the necessity of healing our own hearts through healing the world. If you'd like to support Omid's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Omid. Hello, uh, this is Omid Safi, and I am delighted to welcome you back to the Sufi Heart Podcast. This week we have a special treat for you. Uh, the whole program this week is devoted to uh, the person that many of us see as the most luminous, ethical, moral, and mystical voice of the Jewish faith, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Uh, Heschel was a close friend and partner of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
Uh, he is deeply grounded in the prophetic dimension of Judaism. And his book on the prophets really maps out the way that God is deeply and intimately concerned with the suffering of humanity, starting with those who find themselves vulnerable. Heschel is the person who invited Dr. King to speak at Riverside Church against the Vietnam War. Heschel is the person who speaks of the prophet as someone whose heart is so attuned to suffering that they cannot bear to remain silent. And he talks about the prophets as being a faculty, a tendency, a movement, a portion of which is present inside each and every single person. He says, let there be a grain of prophets in every person. Heschel's voice continues to have a special resonance for all of us today, as, as Rabbi Heschel teaches us that in a free society, a few are guilty, but all are responsible. A few are guilty, but we're all responsible and accountable for each other. So I invite you to give a listen to this week's show. And if you enjoy it, please feel free to podcast to our other programs. Um, join us on the other programs. And uh, as always, the Sufi Heart podcast is brought to you by Illuminated Tours, spiritual interfaith journeys to Turkey and Morocco. And it, they're open to anybody from any age group and any nationality, any background. And if you're interested, go to www illuminatedtours.com. Now, without further ado, please join us on this week's program on Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. All right. Good morning, friends. If you woke up this morning or you were awakened this morning by the drama that is unfolding outside, this is quite appropriate because today is the day for the prophets and they don't mess around. Yesterday was a day for radical love <laughs> and we had sunshine and the soothing warmth of the sun on our bodies and the crisp air to have that sense of the elements moving through you. <coughs> there's a time for that. And there's also a time for that prophetic unsettling. Um, we have three and the three figures that we're going to get to spend some time with, Heschel, Malcolm, and Martin. These are figures who were contemporary. They were in touch with one another. Heschel and Martin had a very close friendship that we'll talk about. And Martin and Malcolm meet, and they're certainly aware of each other, having to respond to one another. Um, they each have their own flavor 
which has something to do with their personal temperament, but also has something to do with the particular aspect of the faith tradition that they come from. So that's one of the really beautiful things, whether we're talking about radical love or we're talking about the prophetic dimension, that we're not taking all the ingredients, putting in the blender and mixing it all up together. You want the Jewish prophetic tradition to have its own particular flavor. You want the black prophetic tradition, the Christian tradition, to have its own taste. And you want Malcolm to be Malcolm. And not that you could ever make Malcolm anything other than Malcolm. Um, so there are really profound commonalities, but there are also particularities about them. With Heschel, which is where we're going to begin, uh, he has a wonderful quote that I was thinking of this morning when I was awakened by what felt like the wind opening the door to my room, um, that he says, God is not nice. God is not Santa Claus. God is an earthquake. And for Heschel, the prophetic consciousness is that. The prophetic consciousness is someone whose sensitivity to human suffering has been so elevated that you'd never make a choice to speak out. You have no choice. You know that unless you speak out, and more importantly for Heschel, act up, the rocks are going to cry out. <clears throat> you don't believe in God. You are a witness to the divine. And one of the really powerful things that Heschel says about what it means to be a prophet when he's talking about the prophet, just as Martin, just as Malcolm, he's not looking at this in an ancient, historical, textual way. The prophets are among us for him. He never names himself as a prophet, but it's very clear that this is the prophetic imagination that animates him. And the point that he makes is to be a prophet is to always keep God and humanity in your mind at the same time, at all time. That you can never speak about God without speaking about humanity. You can never speak about humanity without speaking about God. This is a theme that runs through these prophetic traditions, you're going to hear Martin talk about his impatience with what he calls pious irrelevances. 
sanctimonious trivialities. No patience for a kind of theological navel-gazing that is removed from addressing the question of suffering. And for all three of them, it starts with love. It's based in love. It's rooted in love. But the love shows itself differently. And it has something to do with who are the primary people who are the recipients of this love. We're all finite beings. God is infinite. So where do you start? Where do we start? Heschel is born in Warsaw into an old Hasidic family. His daughter, who um, is a professor of Jewish studies at Dartmouth College, describes him as someone who came from religious nobility. It's a beautiful phrase. Heschel is surrounded by mostly men for whom holiness and prayer is the ultimate quest. It's very bright. He's sent to Germany as people would be in the early part of the 20th century, sadly, to study philosophy. And he writes a dissertation on the prophets, the old prophets of the Hebrew Bible. If you listen to the speeches of Dr. King, you know that he's a lot more likely to quote from the Hebrew Bible prophets than he is, for example, from St. Paul. It takes a long time for Heschel to receive his dissertation because in those days, you would get your dissertation when your book would be published. And at that time, early 1930s, the Germans did not want to publish works written by Jews. He personally leaves Germany two weeks before the full onslaught of the Nazis. His mother and his three sisters are not so fortunate. Um, there's a quote that Heschel has. He says, almost everyone who knew me as a child was wiped off. And what's extraordinary about him, he grows up in this context, that entire world of religious nobility that has given shape to him is wiped off. And yet his daughter says, growing up with him, he was never melancholy, never depressed, never moody, 
never withdrawn. The only exception was if you asked him about his sisters, at which point he would just break down completely. In the 1950s, he starts to publish um, books on the prophetic dimension of Judaism, publishes a book on the Sabbath, which is still the best book I've ever read on the spiritual significance of the Sabbath. In 55, he publishes the book that, as a title, that could have just as easily come from Kharagani, as we talked about yesterday, God in Search of Man. Um, by the way, Heschel is a product of his own age, as all of us are products of our own age. He always uses terms like man and men, by which it's fairly clear that he meant human. Um, but the language at that time was, was gendered. And in 62, he pu finally publishes his work called The Prophets. The Prophets becomes the textbook for Dr. King. His knowledge, he's always grown up with the prophets. He's always <coughs> been quoting Amos and Jeremiah and let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. But the overall theory of the prophets, he's indebted to Heschel. The two of them meet in a conference on religion and race. The conference is called Religion and Race, and Heschel gets up and says, these are two words that should never be mentioned together. He says the purpose of religion is to unite. The purpose of race is to tear apart. Heschel is probably most singularly known for having marched with Martin in Selma. He has the famous quote that on that day, he felt like he was praying with his feet. And this notion of prayer as something active, something involved, something engaged is a theme that comes back to again and again and again in his writings. At one point he says, prayer is meaningless unless it's subversive. By which he doesn't just mean politically subversive, socially subversive, though that as well, unless it seeks to overthrow and to ruin the pyramids of callousness. And this word callousness comes up again and again in Heschel's writing. It is the quintessential definition of evil, a word that he doesn't shy away from using. And think about a Jewish theologian and mystic who's using the word pyramid, Egypt, 
Hebrews building those pyramids in bondage. And he's saying, we too have built pyramids, but our pyramids are of callousness. And the purpose of prayer is not only to subvert them, is to ruin them. If you see videos of him, um, he's a funny, charming, nerdy, <laughs> Yiddish-speaking gentleman who keeps saying the most devastatingly political things. There's one time that he is demonstrating against the war in Vietnam. And a journalist comes up to him and says, half dismissingly, Rabbi, shouldn't you be in shul somewhere? Shouldn't you be in a synagogue somewhere doing your prayers? What are you doing in this protest? And Heschel looks at him and says, my son, I cannot pray. And the journalist is a little flustered and frustrated. And he's like, what do you mean? You're a rabbi. That's what you do. No, you guys pray. And he goes, I cannot pray because every time that I open up my prayer books, there I see images of the children of Vietnam burning in Nepal. He says, I'm here because I cannot pray in the synagogue. These are the giants. These are these righteous ethical voices that have stood up and have stood up. Heschel knows that if you go through the Bible, you've got dozens and dozens and dozens of lines that talk about the poor, the orphan, the needy, the widow, the stranger. It's a constant refrain, Hebrew Bible, New Testament, also the Quran. Virtually the verbatim phrasing, the poor, the needy, the orphan, the widow, the stranger. And quite often in the Bible, it's not that oh, you rich, well-to-do people, you should be kind to these poor outsiders. It is you yourself were strangers. Don't you remember? You used to be the outsiders. So see your humanity in them. And Heschel begins there constantly. He says... The opposite of good is not evil. The opposite of good is indifference. It's that clicking off of the channel when you see images of people who don't look like you being bombed, walking past the refugee, the homeless, the needy, and deciding that it's not my fault. But because he comes out of this prophetic tradition, Heschel constantly has 
this message of hope. It's not too late. We can still save the world. The world was not made to be destroyed. As long as there is a God, there is hope. But if you don't, then we'll just be another one of those cultures that is destroyed. This message of hope is a constant one for him. Um, you see the quote behind you about the goal of life for Heschel is to live in this kind of radical amazement. He's not a Marxist. He's a deeply committed, what his daughter calls, lovingly observant. Not strictly observant, not orthodoxly observant, lovingly observant Jew. Whose aspiration, just as the aspirations of his ancestors, is holiness. Holiness, prayer, by keeping God and humanity in mind at the same time. He has a beautiful saying that I'm very fond of. He says, it takes three things to create a sense of a significant being. Three things. God, a soul, and a moment. And these three are always present. God, a soul, and a moment. That's where he's trying to be. If you've ever heard of being Zen, here and now, to live in the breath, this is Heschel's version of that. There's always a God. You have a soul, and you've been given this moment. So this moment can be holy. This moment can be significant. One of the things that he tries to do is to push his own community to get beyond the trappings of what he sees as religious irrelevances. He says very bold things like one of his own frustrations with his own community is that they have made halakha, Jewish law, into God. He says, I feel like we treat the halakha as if it's eternal and immutable, whereas only God is eternal and immutable. So he goes into his classes where he has Jewish students and he asks them questions like, is gelatin kosher? <laughs> Which if for Muslims and Jews who have kids, this is a legit question. Do you let your kids go to birthday parties where they're selling jello? Because if jello is made out of gelatin and gelatin is pig gelatin, or maybe made out of parts of the animal that we shouldn't be having, it might seem like not, it's just jello. Well, jello is an issue. So he poses this question and his students go at it. And they start citing religious authorities and this and that. They know how to handle that question. So he lets them go for about half an hour. 
And then he asks the next question. Are nuclear weapons kosher? And they have no idea how to even begin answering the question. And he says, this is our problem. Something that not only theoretically could, but in his own lifetime had twice taken the lives of Japanese. <coughs> and we don't even know how to get at this question. In New York, Heschel ends up founding, co-founding an organization called Clergy and Laymen, Clergy and Laymen Concerned About Vietnam. It's this organization that invites Dr. King to come to Riverside Church and deliver his most controversial speech, which we're going to talk about around noon, the Riverside Church speech. Heschel is not only there, he introduces, he's invited Martin, introduces Martin. This is what he says. It is our duty as citizens to say no to the subversiveness of our own government, which is ruining the values we cherish. We are here because our own integrity as human beings is decaying in the agony and merciless killing done in our name. And this is the prophetic agony of his voice. Has our conscience become a fossil? Has our conscience become a fossil? And this line could have come right out of Amos and Jeremiah. Is all mercy gone? Remember, a prophet doesn't play the middle of the road. A prophet doesn't choose his words hyper-carefully to protect himself from legal definition. Is all mercy gone? <coughs> and then Heschel goes on to say, in a free society, some are guilty, the ones who are pushing the buttons and dropping the bombs. Some are guilty, all are responsible. If we vote, if we are somehow a representative democracy, I am responsible, you are responsible, we are all responsible. Morally speaking, he says, there is no limit to the concern one must feel for the suffering of human beings. Indifference to evil is worse than evil itself. And this is a message that if you listen to a lot of the interviews from Heschel and from Martin and from Malcolm, you get to hear. 
war dulls the consciousness of a nation. That in times of war, and the message of we must stand behind our government, that moral voice that knows in ordinary times, dropping bombs on children is not right, becomes pacified, not only about over there, but also about over here. it becomes easier to accept. Oh, that we have to funnel our funds, our taxpayer money to be sent overseas to fight these moral wars rather than feeding the babies at home, taking care of the elderly, taking care of the sick, taking care of the refugees. Why he says there is an act of evil itself, the actual mechanism, machinery of war. Worse than that is the indifference to evil. In March of 1968, about two weeks before Dr. King is assassinated. Martin's killed on April 4th of 68. Heschel introduces Martin to the rabbinical assembly of America. And he says, we're sometimes asked where in America today do we hear a voice like the voice of the prophets of Israel? We hear it in Martin. Martin Luther King is a sign that God has not forsaken the United States of America. Any society that produces a Martin, a Malcolm, a Heschel, is not been forsaken by God. There's still hope. There's still time. In the prophetic tradition, there's a saying, as long as on the back of the earth, there is one single soul left who remembers God, God will not destroy the earth. Um, just to go back for one little second to the love aspect of the prophetic tradition. One of the mystics that we were reading yesterday says, you think that to, re to remember God is just to sit there and chant the name of God. But there's a different kind of remembrance. And if there would be one person who would genuinely remember God, if the lions in a forest would hear it, 
they would pee on themselves. Fish would stop swimming in the sea. Angels would fall down in awe and the earth would become so ecstatic at the remembrance of God that it would shake and people would think it's an earthquake. That's what it means to really remember God. And Heschel is saying, God has not forsaken the U.S. God had sent him to us. His presence is the hope for America. And yet, two weeks later, Martin would be shot and killed. The first interview that Heschel does after Martin's death this cold-hearted journalist says, Rabbi, two weeks ago you said that Martin was a sign that God has not forsaken America. Are we forsaken now? Mm-hmm. And, and you see Heschel flustered, searching. What do we do when we keep killing all the prophets? He's a person who comes out of this deep faith tradition, this deep tradition of Jewish learning. And at some point he says, it's not enough to have books. They have to become books. He says very beautifully, what we need are not textbooks. We need text people. People whose very existence itself has become something that we can learn from. Nerdy book learning is, that doesn't cut it anymore. Um, We've talked about the importance of this work called The Prophets. Um, It's a powerful book. It's a heavy book. And it's not a conventional academic book. This is Heschel summoning the Hebrew prophets into our world. Written at a time of Holocaust. A phenomena that he almost never directly addressed. He almost never directly address the history of Christian anti-Semitism. He says, the prophet is a man who feels fiercely. Prophecy is the voice that God has lent to the silent agony, a voice to the plundered poor and to the profane riches of the world. So we have two responsibilities, to speak with the poor, to stand in the middle of the marginalized, and to address the profane riches. How dare you? 
how dare you hoard wealth when there are those who go hungry and naked. And for him, the prophet doesn't come to his task or task out of some economic manifesto. He says, the prophet is overwhelmed by the grandeur of divine presence. Bowled over by God. I think one of the examples that I always think about, um, and he says a prophet is an embarrassment. A prophet is not cool. A prophet is not smooth. He says the prophet's words come like a scream in the middle of the night. How can we do this? How can we allow this abomination to go on? He says the task of prophecy is to conquer callousness. There's that word again. To change the inner person and to revolutionize history. This is a constant message that we're hearing. It's to transform your inner life linked to transforming the world. This is what other Jewish thinkers would call tikkun olam, the healing of the world, repairing of the world as part of your own spiritual growth. And for Heschel, it's very clear that the prophet has a bias, he calls it, a bias in favor of the poor. He said, empire, means Greek and Roman empire primarily, are on the side of the stronger. But he says, the heart of God is on the side of the weaker. God's special concern is not for the mighty and the successful, but for the lowly and the downtrodden, the stranger and the poor, the widow and the orphan. He's quite impatient with people who say, well, you know, we've made some gains already, so we should continue this path of gradualism. We have at my university the papers of Heschel. And I always take my students to those archives. And one of the exercises that I do with them is when Heschel invites Martin to come to Riverside Church, right? You don't have um, Evite and Facebook events and distribution lists at that, at that time. So Heschel sends RSVP cards to every rabbi and every significant Jewish personality in the tri-state areas. We have the RSVP cards. 
So I sit down with my students and we go through them. 90% of people turn him down. A significant number of them write notes about why they're not coming, why they would never come, and why they would dissuade any Jew from coming to Riverside. And this is what they say. Don't you know our people's history? We were eviscerated in the ovens. We finally come out of the Holocaust. We're starting to put our lives back together. And now you want us to be known as communists? You want us to become unpopular again by going against the government? Have you learned nothing from our people's history? And these are our rabbis who are writing them. These are his friends. Heschel is not persuaded, as you can imagine. So he writes in one of his talks, if Abraham can criticize God over the decision to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, then how can you not criticize the president? Let us dodge no issues. Let us yield no inch to bigotry. Let us make no compromise with callousness. He writes a telegram. I always have to tell my students what a telegram is. <laughs> Some of them know it as an app on their iPhones. I'm like, that's not it. That's not it. Um, and this is what he writes to John F. Kennedy. We forfeit the right to worship God as long as we continue to humiliate Negroes. Forfeit the right to worship God. Church, synagogue, and temple have failed. They must repent. The hour calls for moral grandeur and spiritual audacity. But he goes on, this world, this society can still be saved. It can still be redeemed. God has a stake in our moral predicament. There is one heresy, <coughs> despair. One heresy, despair. Um, we're at the end of our time. Let me leave you with one of the quotes, which is not about politics, but it's something that uh, I think it's important to keep in mind about how that holiness is really at the heart of Heschel's mission. 
Never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked for wonder and he gave it to me. May you have, as we say, a wonderful life. A life filled with that sense of wonder. May you have an awesome life. A life filled with a sense of awe. And if you read it in the old English sense, may you have even every now and then, an awful life, a life that's full of awe. So this is an awful day.